Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, all the media news that's fit to podcast, the big talking points from the Cambridge Media Convention, including the latest on Channel 4 versus the Culture Secretary, James Murdoch using Brexit to full advantage, and Ofcom tackling the industry's diversity problem, plus why the EU might destroy television but save newspapers, the Radio Academy's award nominations are announced, and in the Media Quiz, we ask if it really is all a sense of proportion. It's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me today is the news editor of Broadcast Magazine, that's Peter White, and making her media pod debut, it's broadcaster <laughs> and radio producer from Indie Chalk and Blade, Ruth Barnes. Hello, hello, Ruth. Hello, hello. Hi. Now, Thanks. Where's my drum roll? Uh, what have you been up to this week? Oh, gosh, this week I am currently in production with my podcast production company, um, a series for an, an American network called Haunted, which is all about ghost stories. We're working with a fantastic comedian and scriptwriter called Danny Robbins, you might know. I do. Uh, well, I haven't met him. He's just a. I love that. I. I, I know. do know who he is, <laughs> and I know someone who knows him. That's Excellent. what that noise meant. Danny is. Um, he's wonderful and very talented, and we have uh, this series launching at Halloween. It's going to be on the Panoply podcast network in America. Mm-hmm. It's called Haunted, and of course, the Americans love anything ghostly, and of course, it's British people talking about ghosts. Perfect. So they're obviously going to be like, "Oh my god, it's so Sounds quaint." Smarter than normal, uh, Peter. <laughs> uh, you do the talking TV podcast for broadcast. Yes. We do. Um, tell us about the latest show. We've got a show this week uh, featuring the 25th anniversary of the Big Breakfast. So, oh, wow. um, ripping off Radio 4's the reunion uh, idea, we've brought back four of the producers of the original show and and how they came about it, and talking, you know, some of the funny stories about the house and looking at 25 years of breakfast television. Did you get Zig and Zog? <laughs> Unfortunately. Nervous yeah. laughter. He obviously approached and they said no. Closer than yeah. the truth, yeah, yes, I can absolutely. Yeah, Zig they're, doesn't they're, speak to Zag anymore, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of nostalgic clip shows for Channel 5 to be made. I'm exactly. sure they had serious money on the table. <laughs> absolutely. Um, that does sound fascinating. It's amazing. I used to work on This Morning as a researcher um, before I became front of camera international TV and radio star Ollie Man, And... I notice that pretty much everyone, actually, who who works their work from researcher to assistant producer in those kind of live environments, all their CVs include either This Morning or The Big Breakfast. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I mean, and you look at the people who run television these days, and most of them had a stint on one of those two shows. Yeah. Um, it was a you know incredible sort of breeding ground for people because it was chaos. It was if you could survive in that environment, you know, you were having to make a two-hour show every day, um, you know, with lots of different bits. You know, they weren't. It wasn't just sofa chat. You know, these were they were coming up with ideas. You know, half of them are now prime time entertainment formats. You know, on TV. So you know, these guys, if they could 
cut their mustard or do that, then then absolutely they uh, sort of made it. I way. mean, just from a talent management perspective, Ruth, do you fancy uh, managing Chris Evans <laughs> and Paulie Yates on the same show? What a nightmare! I My can goodness, that no would be, way. Gabby Roslin must have been an incredible relief. <laughs> I was going to say the only the only uh, of the presenters that um, so Charlie Parsons is the guy who created it. He's the the founder of, of Planet Twenty Four, um, so he's been involved in, in helping me set this up and in, in, in terms of who we can uh, approach. And uh, Chris, uh, obviously Paul is not around, but Chris was uh, not particularly welcome. Um, but Gabby Roslin was so apparently the nicest person in television. I've, again, I, I have met Gabby Roslin. I can vouch for the Roslin. Uh, right, we're going to start this week with the recent RTS Cambridge Convention, where broadcasters and execs and politicians, more importantly, and regulators, all gather together to ponder the future of the industry. And, Slightly dry and legalistic term sometimes, Peter. You were there. Decode it for us. It, it was a full policy wonk uh, two-day event. Contrast that to the Edinburgh TV Festival, which is all about programming. Debauchery. Debauchery. Well, there's a different level of debauchery. But the, the funny thing is you don't really hear much about TV programming at, at this type of event, which is fine. I mean, that's not, not the, the point. But the headlines, I mean, the timing was fantastic because the day that Karen Bradley announced her decision on the Sky and Fox merger, um, you had James Murdoch, you had Karen Bradley and you had Sharon White from Ofcom and I have a feeling that was a coincidence or, or great booking, I'm not sure but um, so you had these three people all, all giving their, their views on the issues well, When you say her decision, her decision is simply I'm not going to make the decision <laughs> Her decision gonna... is not to, is to yeah. pass the buck essentially and, and there's you know there's there's some difficult questions as to whether you know this is a decision that Ofcom had already made that she's sort of passing back and should she be doing that um, you had James Murdoch's view that she shouldn't you had um, Sharon White's view that she you know, can't say anything. And I mean, you didn't get the impression that Cam Bradley really wanted to uh, to get involved. It was, um, it, she doesn't come across, you know, in the same way that perhaps John Whittingdale did, you know, who has a very strong point of view. So I fear that it might be a sort of pass in the buck six months, you know, we can just sort of do it then. But what was the gossip in the room? Yeah, that it's going to happen anyway. It's just a question of another six months. Yes. I mean, James Murdoch's take that, you know, this would be, you know, in a post-Brexit world, you need to, to let us merge so we can compete with the Facebooks and the Google was was sort of laughed at. You know, that was a bit, bit daft. I think a lot of people felt. Well, that. I mean, essentially, he was saying, Ruth, as far as I can tell, we're heading into Brexit, so we need to give lots of British money to an international conglomerate. That's a strange argument, it, isn't it? It just sends chills down my spine, this whole, just everything to do. Anyone who, anyone who starts something with in a post-Brexit world, I just want to be sick, basically. That's how I feel about these things. But I kind of forget that there is TV out there, because I only ever really stream content. I just watch Netflix and Amazon Prime. And then people start talking about Channel 4, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's, there's TV stations out there. <laughs> Forgot about those. All right, well, let's talk about Channel 4 then, because yeah. that came up as well. Absolutely, so- yeah. No, it, other than the Sky Fox merger, the um, the main thing that Cam Bradley said was she said that will be a definitely a major relocation of, of Channel 4. So basically trying to um, confirm or give a bit of clarity for the first time that she expects Channel 4 to move out of London, or certainly some of the staff to move out of London. And crucially, she actually said, I, I can't remember the exact words, but it was along the lines of the decision makers. Decision making yeah. should happen. Creative decision London. makers. What yeah. she means is people who commissioned telly uh, and some of their assistants. But some, not all. Yes. That's the new thing, right? So we probably won't shut down Horseferry Road, well, but we're going to insist that Channel 4 spend more money locating some people outside of London somehow. We'll all work it out and it'll all be very jolly. That's basically the... the, the sort of. Uh, it was spun in, in, a, in a few different ways. Channel 4 said this was a huge success because that she's rode back from full relocation, moving everyone to Birmingham or, or Leeds. But in or fact... As, as they might call it relocation, relocation, relocation. But she never said that in the first place. So they've sort of claimed this is a victory that was never really a victory. Everyone really knew that what that was going to happen, you were going to get a 
few people who commissioned Telly to move to the regions now, whether that's moving some of the team behind all four to Birmingham, you know, to join the BBC Three guys, or to move some sort of daytime commissioners to Glasgow or something like that. So that's what's going to happen. You know, we, we had a story in broadcast today that we sort of think about 200 people are going to move. That's going to be the number that will satisfy um, the government. And she doesn't really care where they move. Uh, I think a lot of people favour this idea that rather than putting all 200 of them in Manchester or, or, or Sheffield is to hold on, why don't we put 50 of them here, 50 of them there, or, you know, so, so that feels that, you know, if you're in Bristol, then hold on a minute, you know, if everyone's in Leeds, that's no good to me. So, um, you know, this idea of... Um, Basically what the BBC did then didn't work. <laughs> the Channel 4 term for it, um, which will make you laugh, is a multi-node approach. I'm going to take a multi-node approach to my life from now on. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, from a radio perspective, Ruth, actually, you know, we have the experiment with uh, BBC Radio 5 Live being moved up to Salford. Do you think it makes a difference to the output? I mean, No, I really don't. I feel quite strongly about this. I just think you've just got to put the right people and the right creative people in power and just get, you know, the truth is if you've just got a load of middle-aged white guys running things, it's going to all sound pretty samey. Or middle-aged white guys trying to be edgy and trying to connect to a millennial audience. That's yeah, but even hold on, worse. You can't have it both ways. Either, you know, the decisions they make are the important thing or the kind of context behind those decisions are important. If they're middle-aged white guys, that is a context, isn't it? Why not say, well, middle-aged white guys in the North would have a different perspective to middle-aged white guys in Westminster? They might do, I guess. If, yeah, I mean, sure, I guess they would have a slightly different point of view. But I don't think the BBC's output has changed dramatically since moving tons of people to Manchester. I mean, it just doesn't... In fact, I think, if anything, it's got worse. I mean, BBC Breakfast has certainly got worse because they can't get the guests to go to Manchester. So, I, I don't know. I just think it's an easy way to look like you're doing something. Whereas, actually, there's a far more fundamental issue at stake, which is they're hiring the wrong people and they're hiring like for like, and there's a huge diversity crisis in the media, and they just need to start employing some interesting, different people. I think the, the BBC example is, is very different to, to the Channel 4 example because the BBC has people that make programmes and, and they have an in-house team that mm. they moved, whereas Channel 4 essentially has no one. They commission third parties to make their shows. So I think Channel 4's argument, which I think seems you know quite realistic and the rest of the television industry agrees, is, is it doesn't really matter where the boss of Channel 4 sits. It matters where are they spending their money now are they spending more of it outside of uh, London should they absolutely should they be spending it in the regions but I don't think the the argument of where someone sits does it really matter if Jay Hunt's replacement is based in Birmingham no but does it matter that they spend some money with companies young diverse companies out of Birmingham Sheffield and Leeds and, and everywhere else I think that's the argument in terms of you know where this money is spent but I mean just objectively you could say that Channel 4's output yes they still do risky things but it has become a lot more safe and bland up until about 10.30 at night, most days. You could argue that that is because they see themselves as a rival to BBC One and BBC Two because they're based in London, because they're talking to the same commissioners. And that actually their original brief, you know, from the government's perspective, the point of Channel 4 is to be different and present an alternative you know, their original brief is not being fulfilled by Jay Hunt doing those things. I don't think they see themselves as a rival to BBC One, but I agree that, you know, they're not quite well, as they edgy. they just poached Bake Off. Yeah, they just poached Bake Off, which is a show that is actually uh, ironically made outside of London where they're sort of spending £25 million a year. So, um, now whether that's... a Good it's or bad, but it's a bit, of a, fiddle, it's though, a bit of a fiddle. Absolutely, love has um, love a West yes, exactly. is the uh, is the unit that makes it. But no, going back to your point, you're right. You know, we were talking about the Big Breakfast. The Big Breakfast was the strangest, weirdest, edgiest um, morning television show you know that ever existed. You know, um, you know, harping on about Planet Twenty Four. You remember the word? You know, these shows were edgy. They were anarchic. They were a bit different. Now. 
Channel Four points to things like the last leg, which is great, you know, which is sort of along those lines. But should they be doing more along that lines? Probably. Right. Let's talk about the Aria Awards now. The Radio Academy's relaunched Sony Awards without a headline sponsor worthy of putting in the name. Uh, they are now in their second year. Uh, they're happening in Leeds uh, because the sponsor is Leeds Beckett University, although they are the below the line sponsor. Uh, and they were jolly fun. Uh, we went along last year and had a good time. But they haven't, have they, Ruth? brought the audio industry together because you you have to say when you look at the nominations it's a big glaring omission in these days of lbc performing so well global the biggest radio company outside of the bbc do not enter the aria awards people like presenters like james o'brien who are absolutely killing it at the moment in terms of content with the the run-up to brexit i mean even nigel farage he'd be a dead cert for best new show wouldn't he? (laughs) just to get some publicity you know and they're not entering it they're not entering it why do they not enter well I can tell you afterwards why I think they don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the million dollar question. I think it's a massive two fingers up to the the Radio Academy because, well, last year it was just a BBC love-in. It was, was it 80% of the awards went to the BBC last year? Something in that region, yeah. You know, it's called the Audio and Radio Industry Awards, which doesn't make any sense considering not much audio actually gets a look in. Sure, but it's an acronym that's better than RIAR. (laughs) That's true. I I think there are some good podcasts that have managed to sneak in. I think the Radio Academy just needs to have a whole rethink about its purpose and what it's doing right now with the way things are moving forward in terms of audio. I disagree with that. I think Global need to have a rethink about being on board. You know, broadly, they've thrown their toys at the brand. And that's not good enough, is it? They are part of the radio industry and people who work there deserve to be recognised by the Radio Academy. I completely agree. Sorry, I'd already kind of moved on from that because I was a bit like, they didn't want to enter? Well, okay okay then, dudes. Okay, so what are the Radio Academy (laughs) doing wrong then? if well, on I, the global point they haven't done anything wrong on the global point I don't think they've done anything wrong I think global either want to be part of this and want to be against their you know want to, to be pitted against their peers and go to a big you know swanky night out and watch Chris Evans win again yeah. um, if that's what you know they either want to be part of that or they don't but like you say I think it's very unfair to the staff who work very hard at global who should be given that kind of recognition okay so what have okay. the Radio Academy done wrong well I, I I think the Radio Academy needs to think about the fact if they're going to call it the Audio and Radio Awards then it needs to, it needs to take podcasting seriously and not just have a best new podcast podcast category and kind of put some podcasts in a couple of other categories what this is such a mess that everything is a mess on on here in terms of okay. the nominations so as i understand it podcasts were able to enter every category apart mm-hmm. from obviously things like radio station of the year and you know but breakfast then, show of the year right okay so, so their argument is obviously in the podcast category that's entirely podcasts yes the fact that edith bowman's soundtracking has four nominations the fact that i think there's a sports podcast nominated as best sports show close encounters is in his best new show they would say say that's evidence that the really good that's podcasts enough, that compete it? with radio right okay. you know they can come through and be nominated what only if they compete with radio i see so the fact that podcasting is actually fundamentally quite a different format from radio it shouldn't just be the fact that edith bowman's show is the closest there is to a radio show then she gets four nominations that doesn't make sense if they're going to call themselves the audio and radio awards they need to take themselves seriously and not just have edith bowman nominated four times because her they show... can't control who Listen, the judges nominate ollie because the judges listen to all the entries and they say out of all these entries that were radio and podcast these are the four best and I think it's amazing that a podcast has managed to actually break through this year finally I and actually, really do that well I fundamentally disagree because I think the Edith Bowman show Edith Bowman's show is the closest thing that could actually air on radio and would be a comfortable radio programme they wouldn't even need to edit it they could just put it out and it would be a radio programme and, and I think that's where there's a fundamental misunderstanding about the difference between radio and podcasts podcasts are not just a poor relation of radio podcasts aren't just the content that didn't get commissioned to go on the BBC or any other network it's, it's 
actually a, it's a new industry and there's lots of really interesting things going on. And I think this does nothing to help the progression of that industry. But that's what and, the podcast awards are for. Yeah, which is great. And the British podcast awards are brilliant. But I think then this should just be the radio awards. They should just stick to what they do. Just stick to be the Radio Academy and just make it the radio. No, because then they're sending out the signal they don't think podcasts are the future of radio when clearly, as you've just encapsulated, they are. Maybe podcasts aren't the future of radio because radio is something different. Peter, help us out here. I'm more concerned that people think that uh, Edith Bowman's podcast is any good. Oh, right. Brilliant. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, you're telling me that's, you know, that's been nominated in those four and and I could tell you, you know, 10 podcasts that I think are are more deserving. Now, whether they entered or or whether they're possible. Yeah, but are they? Are they more deserving of the specialist music program? presenter category. Podcasts have a fundamental issue with music anyway, so this is sending out the wrong signal because I don't know how Aura et Labora are getting around the music rights issue in, in Edith Bowman's podcast. I, I mean, I'm really happy for her. I think that's great. She really does a good job on it and well done, Edith, and, and go girl. But it should just be a radio programme. It should just be on the radio. I think fundamentally it is not a podcast. I think actually on that point and going back to Global, it is a show that you could imagine transferring to Classic FM, isn't it? Totally. And in fact, Edith Bowman is a free agent at the moment, as we understand, because she's left her Virgin Radio show, Pete. Is that because of the four nominations, you think? She thought, you know what, I'm doing, really, I'm doing really well here. I'm, the podcast is going great, so uh, I don't need this darn radio station. Well, it's, the boss has changed, is that right? Do you think that's what it was? Was she let go or did she walk away? I, I don't know. I mean, the boss, yes, the sort of headline boss at a wireless uh, radio group, which owns Virgin and also the talk brands, has changed. Um, and they've brought in Sam and Amy, who are really popular breakfast show hosts from up north. And that would, I guess, make Virgin a more distinctive breakfast show than other London-based radio stations. But Edith was distinctive in herself for being a solo female presenter. You have to assume, I mean, people clean house. So whether, you know, they let her go or she decided to leave, you know, when, when new boss comes in, that tend really tends to be the time where... where they like they, to stamp they, their... Yeah, off, yeah of course, because you know, they want to, you know, this is my new hire, this is my new uh, get. Now, just finally, in this section, uh, which I'm going to call... Ruth gets vengeance on podcasts. <laughs> um, uh, you may have heard that Gimlet Media, the podcast network that's the darling of the US media, has recently acquired a new investor. Ruth, tell us about that. Yes, this is um, the latest in a string of stories coming out of America, which just makes the, me very excited to be making podcasts at the moment. They are just getting loads and loads of money. So Gimlet has made absolute an absolute fortune in investment over the last couple of months. And Gimlet, if you're not familiar with Gimlet Media, they've worked with the likes of Ford, PepsiCo and Microsoft to make branded content. They are absolutely raking it in, but they also make some of the kind of hallowed podcasts, I suppose you'd call them, or the best respected podcasts. The ones they do start up, reply all. Exactly, off the top of your head are two excellent examples of them leading the way in terms of really interesting content for and and why podcasts are doing so well over in the States. And I just think it's a really exciting time to be, well, from our point of view, we're working with an American podcast network. It's an exciting time for indies here to be reaching out to the American networks because there is money, there is money floating around. And you could say the same thing here about Spotify. That's the only other place that I've heard there is money floating around is that if you go and have a meeting with Spotify these days, pitch them an idea that they like, they will give you decent money to make it. you just it, say that I on believe. the podcast to other radio producers who are listening, Ruth? Sure, because I haven't gone be to meet them. up to go and have their meeting. I haven't Spotify. gone to meet them. I'm waiting for them to come to me. Right. But no, I, I, I think that this this is a very, it's a very exciting time. I think that all these, that the numbers coming out of the States in terms of digital revenue, something like what the, the stat on this article is $7.5 billion in 2016, which was digi- digital revenue that was made by in podcasting last year. So it's just, it's an exciting exciting time. And I think, you know, Spotify making the change, they ditched their head of video and, and podcasts a couple of weeks ago. And they've brought in this guy, Courtney Holt, I think his name is from Disney slash Maker Studios, who's now going to be the, that role. I think there's exciting times ahead for creative content that is 
maybe we've come full circle and it's the kind of content that you were talking about that was being made in the 90s, that kind of zany, big breakfast, anything goes kind of content that the mainstream channels just don't seem to be interested in. Mainstream broadcasters don't seem to be going for. But... There isn't a proven business model, is there, in podcasts that exist anywhere other than everywhere? I mean, that seems to me to be the major block here. You're talking about Spotify investing in podcasts, but if their intention is, and I don't know, maybe their intention is just to invest in them so that people say Spotify and podcasts they can listen to anywhere. But if their intention is to drive people to Spotify and Spotify only, that hasn't worked yet. It hasn't worked for Audible. It hasn't worked for Radio Wolfgang, even though everyone said that those shows were great. You know, there are limited numbers of people who want to go anywhere else than iTunes or Pocket Cast or whatever it is they're using. It's a walled garden, isn't it? You know, I've got a, an iPhone, I've got Spotify, and I go to my podcast app to get my podcasts. I am a Spotify subscriber, and I rarely go through their podcasts. And, you know, that's because that's not where I think of going for that. Now, of course, they've got some shows that I stumble upon every once in a while. And, you know, same with Apple. You know, now that Apple's getting into original content, um, there's some shows I'd like to, to listen to or watch on, on there. But I'm not going to pay nine ninety nine a month just for one show if I've got Spotify as well. So, yeah, I think you're getting into this world where um, if everyone's doing their own thing and it's not um, across the board, then, then the, the numbers will just be down. And Well, that's an interesting point. Let's ask it from the other point. What if Apple did it? What if Apple said, as part of your Apple Music subscription, you can listen to, I don't know, pick a massive audio star, Howard Stern. You can listen to Howard Stern's show exclusively through Apple Music. I still don't think that would be as big a hit as the Gimlet shows because they're everywhere. Surely, yeah, exactly. That, that will happen. That, that will happen. You know, that's definitely, you know, in the way that Netflix is taking the, the you know, the biggest talent in, in the States and, you know, Amazon's taking, you know, the top gear stars from TV. But can it's, it work in audio? Because people are just used to getting stuff free everywhere. Well, can it Maybe work? it can. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, I just, we'll hear thinking... all about it on the next season of Startup, I imagine. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think what, what the UK needs badly is a podcast network. That's what we need. We need somebody with money to come and say, right, I'm setting up a network, rather than this kind of this idea of waiting for the money to sort of be made and roll in incrementally over the next couple of years. We need someone to come in and invest. I just want to take a moment to say thank you very much for getting in touch. Quite a few of you did after we uh, mentioned that we were literally recording our July episode in a street. Um, (laughs) A few of you got in touch to uh, offer space for us to record in London town, which we really appreciate. Uh, Thanks in particular to listener Matt Arnold, who arranged for us to visit Run VT in the heart of London, and that's where we're recording this right now. Today, Run VT has 15 offline and two online suites, as well as a spectacular bass light grading theatre to go alongside their dubbing suite and voiceover facilities. They've just doubled their capacity. So, if you're in need of edit facilities and you need them right now, Run VT can accommodate you. Find out more at runvt.tv. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. 
From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Time for some news in brief now. Ruth and Peter are still with me. Ruth, cool down. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the EU. Yeah, you weren't expecting that on the media pod, were you? Because James Murdoch may be using Brexit to his advantage, uh, but the European Commission is planning to gut the TV market. Uh, Peter, how? The European Commission is trying to put through a law that will essentially stop um, TV companies selling content market by market. At the moment, the way that particularly independent producers in the UK, is they'll make a show for BBC or Channel 4, but the real money is by selling that show, that finished product, into France, into Germany, into Italy. Um, and they can do that because they can sell to each territory. Now, if the EC says that you have to um, sell it once and only once, then essentially it will take a lot of money out of the, the British television business and the European television business. So it will ultimately, you know, the distribution of television shows, you go down to, to the MIPCOM markets in, in Cannes, where essentially you've got hundreds and, and thousands of people selling TV shows, will just die out a little bit. Now, I don't think this will happen, and I, I, I genuinely don't think that um, this will ever get through because pretty much everyone seems opposed to to it. Spain um, and France and every, yeah, they're, they're all queuing up to it, say they're not happy about exactly. it. Exactly. There's very few people other than the people at the EC that believe that this is a good idea. But they think it's a good idea presumably because it would be good for consumers. Yes. Um, less of their TV licensing money going to their state broadcasters would be spent on accruing rights for things that had already been sold elsewhere in the EU. Yes, but if you live in France you know, and a Polish channel Actually, Poland's a bad example. But, you know, if you live in France and an Italian channel has bought a, a show, why should you be able to watch it? Mm. And you mentioned MIPCOM. So they're selling often the actual finished post-production shows. Yeah. But then there's the formats issue yeah. as well. Does this apply no, to formats? No, they're, they're two different things. So formats will always, because a format deal is essentially um, a channel in France wants to make their own, you know, the Great British Bake Off, they're making the, the Great French Bake Off. Um, that will always stay, you know, that there's no way um, that this will impact that. This is merely selling an episode of Sherlock or an episode of Doctor Who to a broadcaster. Now, it's slightly more complicated by the fact that you've got these companies like Netflix and Amazon, which are buying up global rights to these shows. Um, but, you know, in the past, traditionally it's been a territory by territory um, deals you'll sell to a channel in, in each of these markets and the total amount you won't get a great deal for from each market because it's a relatively small business but if you add that all up that's a healthy margin for a TV production company to then go and develop more more content and and you know fuel the, the British television business doesn't it simplify things in terms of regulation though so there'll well, be one why, yeah, regulation for, for alcohol tobacco protecting minors that kind of thing and also there's the issue about when you go from your native country to travel elsewhere in Europe why shouldn't you be able to catch up with back on all four yeah. when you're in Cyprus and that's an argument the TV business absolutely you know gets and, and if you've got that right to do that in your home country you should have the right to do that when you were abroad this isn't what that argument is this is you saying well, well, it, would, hold it would deal with that though wouldn't it they wouldn't be able to put a restriction on all four so you would be able to watch it I think they're separate issues 
they're legislatively they're separate issues because they're also trying to pass that so that if you know you can use your Netflix account to you know when you're in in home or you know when you go go on holiday this is a slightly different issue this is saying that actually you can't um, just because it's been sold into into one European territory then it's free for everyone um, at the risk of inducing your gag reflex, Ruth, we are leaving the European <laughs> Union. Um, so does this matter post-Brexit anyway? It's actually even more important because we aren't going to have a seat at the table. So one of the main issues is that when we leave the EU, if we leave the EU, then we won't be able to influence these decisions. And they will affect us because they will affect British television companies, but we won't be able to do anything about it. But wait, there's more. Uh, Here's a story about the EU that sheds a very different light on what's going on there because um, interesting piece in the Press Gazette, Ruth, this week saying the EU may actually save the newspaper industry. Yes, this is all about cookies. Um, So we happily accept cookies all the time. And what this article is about is the fact that third party cookie, our our cookies get sold everywhere, third party, when you accept the cookies on your website, Mm -hmm. often people everywhere run off with them and do things to them, which means that when we go to websites, you, you find those freaky moments where you're like, how did they know I was Googling Birkenstocks? Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so there's so, multiple sort of ad agencies that are tracking the different sites you've been on to try and keep selling your stuff on lots of different websites. That's right. right. And they want to put an end to that sharing of cookies. The EU so, does? Yes. Okay. And exactly. how would that benefit the newspapers? So really what there should be is just the the, the, advertise, the content provider, the advertiser and the publisher. And I think this will just simplify that where the money flow between that which means that the publisher will be getting the bulk of the money instead of all these third parties because you're on their website and exactly. they deserve a high proportion of it and there's some quite um, funny uh not well i guess not funny for sandals the travel company that appeared on an isis website um <laughs> and also the telegraph turned up on sunnaonline.com which was a an, an is website so you know i guess they'll that that's putting an end to uh slightly problematic moments like that well they need a holiday yes exactly that's true Uh, Let's talk about radio. And uh, last week, listeners in England were denied their BBC local news when not one or two or even three, but 18 BBC local radio stations went off air. Uh, Ruth, what happened? So they're all connected by the the, the one thing that connects them all is the Vylor system that connects BBC local radio. Um, And it just... Connects (laughs) some BBC local radio. Some, rather, yes, exactly. To a mothership in Birmingham, I think? Uh, Well, where it all went down, actually, was a BT engineer in Oxford Mm -hmm. who seemed to have kind of cut the wrong wire (laughs) the red not the green Um, and it all went dead so listeners on DAB AM and FM had it was hours a good couple of hours that there was just nothing being broadcast it's extraordinary isn't it and Pete I guess it's something that's happening across all kinds of broadcast platforms people think let's let's centralize things let's try and streamline things that's supposed to prevent things like this happening because the, the idea would be that, you know, engineers get things wrong on a local basis, but if everything's being done out of a big super centre, all the music's on one big computer, it can't go wrong. So if it does go wrong, it goes wrong even worse. It goes worse. wrong all over the country. Can I bring this back to the big breakfast? Please. Um, given that that seems to be... Do you uh, have an episode my, out my, about that? I think well, you mentioned uh, it. Funnily enough, <laughs> uh, uh, early on in the big breakfast's um, career, someone did similar something similar, snapped the wrong cable, and the big breakfast went dead um, for 15 minutes. And... When it came back, Chris Evans looked into Graham and goes, where have you lot been? And also just for the uh, for the engineering geeks out there, it was a fibre tray that was disturbed at the time of the incident. Make of that what you will. I mean, you can be pretty sure that it's never going to happen again, right? Because it's quite <laughs> an embarrassment. I mean, it's well yeah. known, isn't it, sort of local politicians' attachment to their radio stations. 
I think it's unlikely that this issue will rear its head again. Maybe it just had to happen once. Yeah, I think so. A head has rolled, I imagine. And one last story before the media quiz, and that's the news that the Antiques Roadshow is running out of rare finds. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Well, you may love it, Ruth. You know, you who spend all your time listening to podcasts and not engaging with the mainstream media. I, on a Sunday night, am going to be concerned that I'm not going to be seeing some good finds on the Antiques Roadshow, Pete. Are we going to get to a point where the finds just end up getting worse and worse and the locations get better and better, but they don't find anything at these places? Or are we just going to end up at a place where they cancel the Antiques oh, Roadshow? Sh- no, don't be ridiculous. That's, that's harsh. definitely not going to happen. Well, apparently we're there already, according to David Batty. He's one of the experts. He's the pottery expert. He said that they just don't get the good finds anymore. It's been years since they've had a really, really good one. Although apparently there is an episode due with a really, really good one. Oh, Something to do with a Fabergé thing. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. He said that apparently it's been sucked. What, what was it? The uh, the stonkingly, <laughs> stonkingly good <laughs> objects on the roadshow. We've been going for 40 years so we've been sucking them in like a vacuum cleaner and there's just nothing left that's well, good. Well, okay, but if you're the ceramics expert, I understand you might look around <laughs> in despair, but there is a whole world of kind of collectibles and memorabilia and stuff from the latter part of the 20th century which might not be worth as much but still interesting as a viewer, isn't it? And as, as, as people of our generation head towards middle age, I'd be quite happy watching them discuss Elvis's, you know, guitar plug is, or whatever. It doesn't have sell to it be. on eBay though, aren't you? Before you go exactly. on Exactly. The, the problem is, is that, the, the, that there's none of that shock value anymore because the punters are there yes. waiting for the valuation that they already know that they've got on four <laughs> different antiques websites and they look vaguely peeved when they come in at like five grand lower so that wonderful magical moment I think is getting less and less on Roadshow the internet is killing antiques mm-hmm. Roadshow that would be a great end of uh, series moment though wouldn't it Fiona Bruce hailing an Uber getting in to head on down to the post office and send it out on eBay uh, right. uh, there is just time for our media quiz uh, this week entitled Diversity Challenge. Uh, There have been a few stories this week tackling the issue of representation in the industry. You alluded to this earlier, Ruth. And uh, so for a bit of fun, uh, let's see if you can correctly guess the percentages in these recently revealed surveys. It's the best of three. Those who guess the closest win. Uh, Ruth, you're going first. The winner is The Handmaid's Tale. The loser is James Corden. That's an Emmy joke. Here's question number one. The percentage of front page stories written by women in the national press this summer. Ruth. 41%. Ruth says 41%. Peter, are you going higher or lower? Lower. Lower. What would you like to guess? 26%. Pete is alarmingly close and wins the point. Just 25% of front page bylines were attributed to women, according to pressure group Women in Journalism. I'm far too optimistic, you see. (laughs) And that number's even skewed worse when you think the fact that The Guardian has two female political editors. That skewed worse, as in, if you took them out of the equation, yeah. it would be much lower. It would plummet. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, because Alexandra Topping writes a lot of front pages as well, doesn't she? So basically, the take the Guardian away completely. Are yeah. very good in terms of well, women. the Daily Star, apparently, is edited by a woman, I found out today. Yeah, but she probably oh. doesn't get many front page bylines, does she? Okay, here's question number two in our diversity quiz. Okay. <clears throat> the percentage of women in higher management roles at the five major broadcasters, so that's BBC... ITV, Sky, and Channel 4 and 5. Peter, you're going first this time. Care to guess? Percentage of women in higher management roles at the five major broadcasters? I'll go with a third, so 33%. 33%, says Peter. Ruth, higher or lower? Well, my balloon has been burst, so I'm going for like 18. <sighs> I'm afraid Peter's got it again. Ah, damn you. Uh, and this is not because he's a man. This is fair and square. <laughs> uh, Peter, 39% of senior management roles are held by women, according to Ofcom. Um, what did Sharon White, the head of Ofcom, though, call this and other diversity targets? For a bonus point. 
can't tell you what she... Well, she was very optimistic at Cambridge, although... Um, no. 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 It's shit. No. <laughs> You're closer. <laughs> the word was woeful. Ah, woeful. That's what, yeah, that was what, woeful. yeah. But go on, she was optimistic, was she? Well, she was optimistic, but you have to look at this, coupled with the uh, the diamond data, which came out um, around the Edinburgh TV Festival, where no one bothered to fill it out. I mean, you look at the Ofcom... Um, uh, numbers that you're, look, you're referring to as well. One of the big problems is these companies don't have enough information about their staff. So first of all, if they can't figure out who their staff is, they can't figure out what the problem is. And similarly with Diamond, which is you know the idea of collecting data on who makes these shows, um, not enough people filled it out. So no one really understands. You know, we can see it anecdotally. You know, we can see it, and anecdotally, we know it's a problem. But until they have the data, then then we're not going to get any better. And until they're public with the data as well. I mean, the BBC is good at holding its hands up and releasing its diversity data, but I think everybody should be made to do it. I think Channel Four was the only broadcaster that came out of this study. Um, Positively, they were sort of said, you know, well done. You you know who your staff is, and the uh, the statistics are, are better than the other broadcasters. Okay, so I mean, technically, just on points so far, Pete's won. Okay. But I'm giving you the bonus point for saying shit because that's closer to woeful, which means you could draw still. Oh, so okay. here goes. Here's the third question: the percentage of men on the radio academies recently announced thirty under thirty. Now this celebrates the best up and coming talent. This I know, Ruth. So, I, okay, there's 30 of them. I remember reading that I think there were seven or eight women, so I'm doing the maths mm-hmm. on that. Like Seven out of 40. Seven out of, what is that? Seven, seven out, out of 30. 30. What the hell is that maths? My maths is just awful. Um, so I'm going to go for 85%. 85% men. Would you like to go higher or lower, Peter? I'm going to go marginally lower. 80%. Well, Peter, you have uh, triumphed again. The number was 73%. Damn, I so gave you the answer as well by telling you the numbers. 22 oh, stupid of big the mouth. 30 were men. Uh, any thoughts on that, Ruth? I mean, there are yes. lots of uh, promising just, women under 30. Why aren't they being nominated? I hate those lists. They're just such rubbish. In fact, Hannah Well, maybe that's why that you haven't nominated any women for it. No, I didn't actually get involved in nominating. Well, there you go then. But I think there are, I, I think really they need to try harder. I feel like with these kind of lists, don't press publish until you've, you're happy with how diverse it is. Just take some responsibility and don't sit back going, well, you didn't nominate anybody. Just get creative. Just sort it out. Just Get you know, creative. Yeah. Put people in the list that you yes. don't think necessarily. Yes, put people in the list that who haven't are won great, the respect of their peers. Who weren't nominated because nobody can be asked to nominate like me. And <sighs> just, you know, make well, a change. Ruth Barnes. Peter's nodding. Down on the Radio Academy in every possible way this week. Thank you for joining. Us and Peter White, thank you as well. That is it for this episode of the Media Podcast. But uh, if you enjoyed it, why not catch up with the last three years' worth of delightful chat? Uh, you can find that at themediapodcast.com. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, subscribe for free and catch new episodes as soon as they're released. Keep us on the air and get an entire episode of this podcast dedicated to you by going to themediapodcast.com slash donate and giving generously. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.